Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Mental Illness, Mental Brilliance. I am T. Erica and I'm exploring how our mental health impacts our personal success. Can you achieve your dreams while struggling through mental health issues? Can your mental health issues actually push you to achieve the life that you want? I explore this topic and so much more right here on Mental Illness, Mental Brilliance and on the companion website, mentalbrilliance.com. Today, I want to talk about an interesting topic. I saw an article on wired.com. It was a narrative, a story by a woman by the name of Jean Guerrero. Now, Jean does not profess to have any mental health issues, but she's had a rocky past with her father, who believes that he was a targeted individual. A person who believes they are a targeted individual, or TI, is a person who is typically diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. When you have paranoid schizophrenia, according to the resources that I've read, you believe that someone is following you, that someone is watching you, that people are out to get you, and it's typically the CIA or the government. You believe your mind is being tampered with by the government. While reading this story that she wrote in Wired, which was called, My Father Says He's a Targeted Individual, Maybe We All Are, it made me think about the movie I saw called Unbreakable, I believe, with Samuel L. Jackson. Remember in this movie, Samuel L. Jackson was a disabled man with extreme, with an extreme disability that caused his bones to break very easily so as he grew up he managed to cope with this ailment he could still walk sometimes as long as he didn't get into any accidents he was fine but the slightest thing the slightest bump would cause all of his bones to break so he was very fragile physically he grew up trying to figure out why how try to make sense of why his disability happened and he did it in the most crazy way by becoming a terrorist are we all trying to make sense of what's going on with us we need to accept ourselves so we need to come up with a reason for what's happening around us in the world and in our minds So targeted individuals, they believe they're being tracked, is real to them, and they're trying to put a stop to it. And then this article, I'm actually going to read to you excerpts from it, not the entire thing, but the parts that I thought were important. And I do hope you listen to it, think about it, as this author, Jean Guerrero, is actually accepting and affirming her father's paranoid beliefs. She's making a correlation between what he was feeling that most people would just dismiss as crazy 
And she's making a real life correlation to our popular society today that actually makes some sense. So sit back and listen. Here we go. The title of the article is My Father Says He's a Targeted Individual. Maybe We All Are by Jean Guerrero, published October 25th, 2018 on Wired.com. Here's her story. I was 11 when my father destroyed the condominium where he was living, searching for hidden transistors or other devices that might be beaming voices into his skull. He took a hammer to the walls, shoved his fists into the holes, and pulled off chunks of plaster. He shut off the power generator and cut the electrical wires in the walls. He put his ear to the floor. He ripped up the carpet. He called 911. A Mexican immigrant who perfected his English by reading books, he sneaked into the San Diego shipyard where he helped build oil tankers. Marco Guerrero had always been an uncanny mechanic. He could see through to the machinery of everything as if he had x-ray vision. He could adjust brakes, fix broken pipes, even tap phone lines. After mass layoffs at the shipyard, he stayed at home, documenting my first words on his camcorder and taking me to coastal tide pools to catch cobitos. But then he fell into a depression. My parents separated. He started smoking crack cocaine. After tearing his place apart, he vanished on a years-long cross-border quest to escape alleged CIA persecutors. My mother took me and my sister to assess the damage to the condominium, which she owned but had let our father stay in after they separated. The carpet lay in heaps against the punctured walls. A layer of cigarette ash coated the rooms. It looked apocalyptic. Our mother, a physician specializing in internal medicine, offered a psychiatric diagnosis. Your father, she said, has paranoid schizophrenia. In college, I majored in neuroscience while majoring in journalism. I minored in neuroscience while majoring in journalism, searching for my absent father in MRI brain scans and the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Though he had returned from his transcontinental odyssey a couple of years earlier and moved in with his mother in San Diego, I rarely saw him. When I visited, we exchanged few words. But on my 20th birthday, I made a trip to my paternal grandmother's house, and my father, sober now for several years, dragged a chair next to me and started talking. It was the first lengthy conversation we'd had since I was a child. The story he told sounded unlikely, that he was one of thousands of targeted individuals who had been covertly spied on and manipulated by the CIA in the early 2000s. But he didn't sound agitated or disturbed the way I had imagined a paranoid schizophrenic might. He was articulate. He cited patents, research, and the central role of something he called MK Ultra a real CIA mind control program that ran from 1953 to 1973 that targeted drug addicts, prisoners, prisoners, and other vulnerable people. I didn't know anything about the pile of facts he just left at my feet, his far-fetched answer to the mystery of his breakdown and disappearance, but I felt it was my duty, as a journalist and as, as his daughter, to investigate the possibility that what he said was true. I hope I could do it without falling down a rabbit hole. 
One day, after scouring the internet for information about MK Ultra and CIA torture, I was served with an ad for Trentelix, a pharmaceutical drug for depression. The ad was prominent on the page and encouraged me in large blue letters to take the first step. For a moment, I wondered, did I have depression? The idea of a conspiracy targeting my father was making me feel depressed. Then a more likely hypothesis occurred to me. My online activity, using search terms like V2K and government harassment, had probably caused computer algorithms to place me in a category of people with paranoia, which is often accompanied by depression, leading advertisers to target me. The hypothesis started to broaden. In our digital economy, covert players are constantly harvesting our data and churning out exquisitely tuned consumer profiles to tap into our dreams and desires. We are being surveilled. We are being controlled and manipulated. We are perhaps being tortured. But it's not the CIA or aliens perpetrating all this. We are doing it to ourselves. A thought occurred to me. Could the stories of targeted individuals be a warning, a cautionary tale about the real targeting we experience as digital technologies pervade our lives? Perhaps my father's perception of electronic harassment is the result of his sensitivity to the mechanic of things. He may be seeing through to the nuts and bolts of the web, weaving a story out of his danger and turning it into terrifying delusion of persecution, suffering, and torment. Stay with me here. The idea that madness might contain insights about overlooked realities is not new. There is a growing international network of people with hallucinations, inner voice, whose members have embraced their waking visions and the voices in their head. They see them not as undesirable symptoms of mental illness, but as tools that serve the same function as dreams. They explore hallucinations for metaphorical insights to help them process unresolved experiences. They argue that traditional mental health approaches focused on eradicating symptoms fail to promote a meaningful, empowering relationship between patients and their hallucinations. On its website, the network urges people with schizophrenia to listen to hallucinations, but not to necessarily follow to engage. And the approach is gaining traction in the scientific community. What if the TI voices exist for the same reason? Maybe my father and the thousands of people who have bonded over their self-perceived status as targeted individuals are a kind of indirect warning system experiencing a kind of collective dream, canaries in the digital coal mine. We dismiss them as out of touch with reality, yet we have all become the objects of monitoring and manipulation eroding the core of what makes us human, our free will. Perhaps the targeted individuals are foretelling the future, one in which we lost control of our minds. I remember the first time I told my father I wanted to write about him for what became my memoir, Crux. Poppy choked on his beard, pounded his fist against his chest, and shook his head, eyes watering. When he could breathe again, he said, absolutely not. Maybe if someday you became famous and respected, you can do it. Other not wise, nobody will think twice if... He lowered his voice. If the CIA kills you. I paused, trying to think of the best response. Pa, if I write your story, you'll be immortal, I said. 
He rolled his eyes and squeezed indignation into his forehead, saying he didn't care about the perpetuity of his insignificant ego, but I could see the grin growing on his face against his will. My father was human, just like me, dying to live among the gods. Unlike the Neanderthals and other early humans who could work together in groups of at most 150 individuals, we learned to cooperate in groups of thousands, tens of thousands, millions, simply by telling stories to forge shared dreams. But now, this gift is in danger. As the speed and efficiency of computer processing increases at predictable rates, our ability to author our own destinies is being consumed by a configured figment of our imagination, the internet. We created the internet as a vast landscape where information could be free. That was a delusion, of course, or at least a misapprehension. The advertising model that drives online media and commerce means we pay for the web's valuable resources by opening up our minds to what virtual reality pioneer Jaron Lanier calls siren servers, cloud computing networks that dominate the internet. Algorithms collect our data and crunch that into maps of our minds, which companies use to manipulate our decisions. Power concentrates where the data are. Lanier argues that we are surrendering our free will bit by bit to Amazon, Facebook, Google, and their clients. And who owned the future, he writes. When you are wearing sensors on your body all the time, such as the GPS and camera on your smartphone and constantly piping data to a mega computer owned by a corporation that is paid by advertisers to subtly manipulate you, you gradually become less free. The surrender is triggering a breakdown in our ability to distinguish fact from fiction. Instead of moving through the world as autonomous actors with original thoughts and inquiries, we become objects of what is dictated to us via the digital realm, including fake news. While advertising dates back to papyrus, it gained a broader reach after the Industrial Revolution. The information age opened its Pandora's box. Digital feedback loops allow advertisers to predict our fears and cravings and to influence our purchases and preoccupations. The information economy thrives on the currency of our data, ourselves. It is unseating us as masters of our own destinies and distorting the very fabric of reality as we know it. Sound familiar? Many who hear the TI stories of surveillance and manipulation dismiss them as mere delusion. But we have created machines that track our every move, that beam thoughts into our heads. Were the target individuals America's prophets all along? In the Bible, men who perceive voices and visions nobody else can see or hear are prophets. They are in communication with God. With the sea nowhere in sight, Noah built a ship and herded animals onto it, saving life on earth from God's wrathful flood. Moses foresaw plagues of flies, boils, locusts, and the deaths of firstborn sons, convincing the Pharaoh to free the Israelites. In the 70s, the American psychologist Julian James argued that all early humans suffered from hallucinations because their two brain hemispheres connected by nerve fibers of the corpus callosum were not fully integrated. The voices of one hemisphere were perceived by the other as external to the self. Thoughts were the voices of gods. We could say that before the second millennium BC, 
everyone was schizophrenic, James writes in The Origin of Consciousness in the breakdown of the bicameral mind. As the brain hemispheres become integrated, humans begin to perceive the God's voices as their own internal dialogue. They acquired free will. My father fought the alleged mind control experiments as if his humanity were at stake, collecting, collecting evidence, researching remedies, traveling far from home. Perhaps we can learn something from his resistance. The prophet Abraham, according to the biblical tale, hears the voice of God telling him to sacrifice his only son. Without a second thought, Abraham takes his boy to Moriah and ties him to an altar. He pulls a knife from his pocket and God calls out to him from heaven, stopping him just in time, praising him for his obedience. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. This is the promise made by the digital realm, that if we surrender our minds to it, if we apprise it above people we love, we will be rewarded with a kind of immortality. In Silicon Valley, it is considered a certain future. We will soon be able to upload our minds to the internet and live forever in digital Edens. But the idea fails to consider that such an eternity would come at the cost of our free will. Would we still be human then? My journey into my father's world led to strange and unexpected places, including the ruins of a Mexican ranch where his great-grandmother, a curandera, was said to have communed with spirits. The townspeople relied on her for plant remedies and prophetic wisdom. People traveled far away to see La Adivina, the diviner. I contemplate the parallels between La Adivina and my father and the differences in the stories our societies weaved. One heard the voices of the dead and was thought to have a gift, while another suffered hallucinations and was considered ill. To what extent had those stories influenced their outcomes? I visited my father and asked him about the voices he used to hear. He described them, male and female CIA agents, commenting on his actions, insulting him, taunting him. I asked how he knew he wasn't hallucinating, giving that crack can induce psychosis. The reason was obvious to him. The CIA never bothered him on airplanes because the aircraft's aluminum alloys protected him from electromagnetic weapons. The voices stopped if he wrapped himself up in aluminum foil. I looked into the real-world CIA mind control experiments my father had mentioned, MKUltra. The program involving, involved slipping LSD to more than 10,000 unwitting civilians, among other things, to see if they could manipulate people's behavior. It was exposed by a New York Times article in 1974. After MKUltra was investigated by the Senate's Church Committee and the Rockefeller Commission, then-President Gerald Ford signed an executive order in 1976 prohibiting experimentation with drugs on human subjects without their consent. But the order was revised by subsequent administrations, and the CIA's internal guidelines later gave the agency director the discretion to approve, modify, or disapprove all proposals pertaining to human subject research. When I analyze the voices my father described rather than disregard them, I am struck by the parallels with the hyper-personalized messaging we all experience. The CIA agent's alleged surveillance parallels the web's tracking of our activity. 
their commands echo invasive ads. How often have we hidden players on the web influenced our behavior by shouting or whispering in our ears? Russian interference in the 2016 election is yet another example of the far-reaching power of AI-based messaging affecting not only our consumer choices, but also the integrity of our democracy. During the Renaissance, people who, who hallucinated, madmen, were believed to have a cryptic wisdom, more like pro, pro, poets than prophets. In the age of reason, they were cast aside as aberrant and institutionalized in mass. The 20th century Christian philosopher G.K. Chesterton argued for a more moderate approach. In his book's Orthodoxy, he wrote that madness dwells not in irrational minds, but in rational ones that overestimate what they can grasp. It is the legit logician logis, it is the logis, it is the logician who seeks to get the heavens into his head, and it is his head that splits. According to the World Health Organization, America, with its fetishization of logic and data, has one of the world's highest rates of mental illness. The Electronic Frontier Foundation is fighting against mass surveillance with lawsuits and browser add-ons that block advertisers from tracking online activity. EFF's international director, Danny O'Brien, works with people who are actually targeted by repressive regimes for their journalism or activism. He says he sometimes gets calls from people with mental illness who wrongly believe they're being targeted. Many have an inquiring spirit that he finds instructive. These people aren't just sitting back and accepting what's happening to them, he adds. They're trying to understand. But O'Brien hypothesizes that for too many self-described TIs, affirming rather than escaping their victimization is the goal. They show a preference for false solutions, such as aluminum foil hats, because their belief that they're being targeted serves to distract them from the real traumas they don't want to face. Paranoia is strange because it's simultaneously comforting and disturbing, he says. It's disturbing to think people are spying on you, but it's also comforting to have an explanation for why your world sucks. Thank you for listening to my to this article that I found by Jean Guerrero about her father's mental health issues. I do hope that it helped you to understand that sometimes our mental health issues aren't all in our heads. Am I crazy? You're listening to Mental Illness, Mental Brilliance. I am T. Erica Patterson. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit mentalbrilliance.com and I'll talk to you soon.